No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio. One bubble here on the left will be non-believers. All the people that ever born, everyone, is always born into the left bubble. That's a bubble of non-believers. At some point in your life, some point in your life, you make a choice. That's why I always give the date. You don't have to know the date, but I always give the date to tell you that there was a change in my life, a moment, a decision. When I told God I believed I'd sinned against him, I believed that Yeshua fulfilled the prophets, the scriptures, the predictions of who the Messiah would be. God sent his son to earth and that I put my trust in him as my atonement, my sacrifice, that he died in my place and I receive him into my life putting my trust in him. And God gives me eternal life. There's a lot of things he gives me at that point. One thing we always joke about. So God takes you out. Blew it. Plucks you out of that bubble. Spiritually, you still are in the world. And he places you into the bubble of believers. He places you in there. There's only one way to get into that bubble of believers. Whatever that means, for sure it means one major thing. You're going to spend eternity with God in his presence, aware of everything that's going on. It's not, you're not sleeping. You're current, you will be aware of in his presence. If you never put your trust in the Lord, that's the non-believers. Could be great, good people, fine people doing great works in the world. But they've never received the forgiveness. They've never experienced the sacrifice, the atonement that Yeshua provided for them. So the one major difference is these people, good and bad people, these people are lost, separated from God forever. Conscious awareness of suffering apart from the Lord. Whether you like that or not, that's what the Bible teaches. Then these people have put their trust in Messiah. They've received him. Now listen, the people in this bubble, some are very good people. Some are not so good. Some are not nice at all. But they put their trust in Messiah. They've received him. And they are in that bubble. They're part of God's body. Theological terms, if you want it, that body, that bubble is called the body of Messiah. It's called the the church. That's not local, but the individual body of believers is the church of all believers. That's called the ecclesia, the congregation. All people. It began 2,000 years ago on the day, the Jewish holiday of Shavuot. Or Pentecost, weeks, that's when God started this circle. Not back with Adam. He started it on the day of Pentecost. It was something new. And all Jewish people, Gentile people that accept it are in the body. Difference, these have never accepted Messiah. These have accepted Messiah. There is a problem. Because a lot of people, their problem outwardly is this. These people... Some of them are very nice and good and do great humanitarian deeds and, and help mankind. They do very, very good things. And some of us sit back and go, God has to accept them. He doesn't accept them on their deeds. He accepts them only on the deed of one, the death of Messiah. Should they keep doing good? By all means, we all benefit from it. But it doesn't get them into the heaven, of, uh, into heaven or into God's presence. So by their actions, they look good. They look like they earned it or they deserve it. And we want to give it to them. But that's not the way God has set up this uh, system, God's the world. Then we see other people in this bubble, believers that live like the devil. 
that are mean and cruel and don't do nice and good things at all. And we look at them and go, they don't deserve to be saved. They don't earn it. Well, you don't get heaven because you deserve it. You don't get heaven because you work for it or you earn it or you deserve it. You get heaven whether you realize you have no chance of getting there and you're totally lost and you're totally helpless and Yeshua did it for you and you're throwing yourself on the mercy of God. You get into heaven by the grace and mercy of God. That's it. It's not based, and this we have to think, it's never based on works, good deeds, how you feel. It's based on what the Bible has told us. That's the way we live our life. And so sometimes the actions don't match up to it question we all many many people ask believers they ask this question if you're saved if you've accepted the lord can you lose it and that's in a lot of your minds can we lose that that gift that god has given us can we lose salvation by sinning by doing something bad by not believing can we lose it by doing something if you can lose it by your works that means maybe you can gain it by your works you don't Win salvation or lose salvation based on what you do. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to people about that. They say, well, this person can't be saved. Look what he did. You're basing it on whether he did something or not. Salvation is not based on whether you do good or bad. I tease, I joke. Sometimes, sometimes someone could wake up in the morning and they, they wake up early by some chance and they have nothing to do. So they pick up the Bible. And they read the Bible and the words jump out at them. And this is great. Wow. God's speaking to me. Then you talk to God. It's like he's listening to every word you say. Then you go to work and someone at work says, what must I do to be saved? You share your faith. Then afterwards you leave work and you go to a Bible study and they ask you a question. You answer and you feel so wonderful. You go to, you're getting ready to go to bed. Someone says, are you saved? You better believe I'm saved. There's no one saved better than me. I am really saved. Then you wake up the next morning. You sleep through the alarm and you wake up late. You're late for work. You jump out of bed and stub your toe and you don't say some nice words. And then you rush off to work and you're driving and someone cuts you off. And you say a few more choice words. Then you get into work and you're by the water cooler and someone tells a dirty joke and you laugh. And then you tell a dirty joke and you laugh. And then you go throughout the day and instead of going to the Bible study, you go to the bar and take a drink. And then you go home and someone calls you and says, are you saved? Believe me, there's no one more lost than me. See, we're all basing on what you did and your works. And that's what we think wrong. Salvation is not based on your works and how you live your life. It's not how you feel. It's based on the finished work of Yeshua. His death, resurrection, have you put your trust in it? If you have, he gives you eternal life. And then a lot of people say to me, well, if you have eternal life, then you will live a certain way. Maybe. I say, if you have eternal life, you should live a certain way. There's a difference in that. Whether you will or you should. And believer, the Bible seems to teach, if you are a believer, then you should live a certain way. But whether you do or don't, doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. So, one feels saved, one acts it, one doesn't. What? What we want to focus, if I will, today for a minute, fill this in. This is a very, very important topic that I teach new believers, middle believers, old believers, all believers. Very, very important that we get this in our mind. The doctrine, big word, just means the teaching, folks. Okay, you want to sound theological, say doctrine. The teaching of eternal security, whether you're you're 
eternal security, your eternal life, safe, rests on a proper concept of what God does when he saves a person. What does God do when he saves someone? We'll determine whether you feel you could lose it or not, whether you feel good or not. So we want to just share this for a few minutes. I want you to take out pens, pencils. This I want you to get down. Make sure you write in your outlines or get the tape afterwards. So what is eternal security all about? Can you lose it or not? First, let's, let's see if we can trace this. We cannot save ourselves. We can't, there's nothing you can do in all the wor- world to save yourselves. We teach how to be saved. You can't save yourself. No one that ever lived can save themselves. You just can't do it. There's nothing you can do. So you wake up tomorrow and decide you're going to read the Bible for the rest of your life every minute. You never stop reading the Bible. While you're reading the Bible every minute of every day for the rest of your life, you're praying every moment for, for the rest of your life. While you're reading and you're praying, you're sharing your faith constantly every day for the rest of your life. There is nothing you can do in all the world to save yourself. It's not a human possibility. You just can't do it. Follow along. Fill it in. One, we are weak, helpless, and separated from God. The word weak means totally inadequate, totally like like a little baby just born. All the baby can do is lay there, cry, and God allows them to drink milk. But there's nothing they can do. You are weak. You are helpless. Totally helpless. We don't like to think of ourselves that way when it comes to this. You're weak. You're helpless. You are separated from God. The little child, that innocent, beautiful little baby. So sweet, isn't it nice? A baby separated from God. I know somebody's, oh, no, they're automatically saved. No, they're not. I don't know how God always deals with them, but they're not saved. They're separated from God. The moment you're born, you are separated from God. You are not born saved. You are born sinful. No, not that insult. Sin. That baby has a disease. We pass on disease. So you're weak and helpless. Follow along with me a couple verses. For those who are according to the flesh, that's non-saved, non-believers, set their minds on the things of the world, the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, God's spirit lives in you, set their mind on things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh, unsaved, is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The moment the child is born, you live your life, you are hostile toward God. Whether it comes out actively or not. You're opposed to God. You're an enemy of God the moment you're born. You're hostile toward God. It doesn't subject itself to God's law. Now, now listen carefully to these next words. For it is not even able to do so. There is, the Bible tries to paint the picture, there is nothing the person can do. And those who are in the flesh simply cannot please God. I always pick on Mother Teresa. She might do, she does great things her whole life. I don't know if she's a believer or not. If she's not a believer, she is doing good for mankind. She is. If she's not a believer, it's not enough to please God and take her to heaven. There's nothing you can do. And that's the first thing we have to realize. There's nothing we can do. We're separated from God. Ephesians 2 gives you a good picture of you and I before we were believers. And you were once dead in your transgressions or trespasses and sin. Before you're a believer, everyone look up here. Say this word, these words. We were dead. That's it. Though you lived, you were dead. Spiritually, you were dead. Dead. They can do nothing to please God. We're dead. 
in which uh, you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. You are part of a system that's lost and separated from God. The problem is that sometimes you do good things, and sometimes you're not so good things, but the whole system is separated from God. And then it says, verse 3, among these things, sons of disobedience, we all, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. See, I don't think we have the proper picture of what a person is like before he's saved. This person is a hostile enemy of God. He's separated from God. He's uh, uh, an enemy of God. The, uh, Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 says, The Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that he can't hear you. But, Isaiah says, your iniquities have separated you from you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. Now God hears all things. But you are lost and separated. You are in a, a total Case of, of total helplessness and weakness. You can't do anything. Jeremiah 17, 9 puts it this way. It's not up there. I'm just quoting now. Jeremiah 17, the heart of man is desperately sick, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God. We are desperately sick. We're not capable of doing anything for it. Capable of earning it. Our debt is too big. There is not. Okay, there. I think I've got the point. Okay. We're weak. We're helpless. Second, I saw along with that, we're lost. Simply lost. No one's born saved. You don't, you don't get, I've asked some people, when did you become a believer? Oh, I've always been a believer. Yeah, you've heard them. What do you mean you've always been a believer? Oh, my mom and dad love God. Oh, I, I was born into a believing home. I'm a believer. I've always known God. No, you were lost. You were weak. You were helpless and you were lost. Um, John 3.18 says, he who believes in him, those who believe in Yeshua, a baby can't believe, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We're weak, we're helpless, we're separated, and now it says we're lost. John 8, 24 puts it this way. I said, therefore, Yeshua speaking, I said, therefore, to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We're born as sinners. We're helpless, we're weak, we're, uh, what was the first one? Helpless, weak, in, uh, separated from God, and now we're lost. Romans, great passage to describe our condition. You know, people go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you your condition. The great rabbi Saul tells us the condition of mankind. He first, everyone look up here, First, in this passage, he tells you your nature, what you're really like. Then he tells us your actions and what you do. So this is what you and I are like before we got saved. He says, what then? Are we, Jewish people in, in this context, are better than they? Not at all. We've already charged that both Jewish and Gentile, Greeks, Gentile people, are all under sin. Here's your nature. For it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. No one that's ever born was born righteous. You're, just, you're not righteous. God's holy standard. Nobody is righteous. This is your nature. No one's born righteous. Not one. There's none who understands. Every person that's ever born, no one's righteous. No one understands about God. I was thinking of something to tell you, but I'm going to pay. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. No one seeks after God. 
passage in the Bible. I'm adding, forgive me. Okay. There's a passage in the Bible, one of my favorites. Uh, we're not going to turn to it. It's in the book of Matthew. But Yeshua says this, nobody can know God the Father. No one in all the world can know God except the Son, Yeshua. Then he says this, and no one in the whole world can know the Son except the Father. This is a private club, folks. I mean, the Spirit's there too, but here Yeshua's bringing out. The Father and the Son have a private club. Nobody can know the Father except the Son. No one can know the Son except the Father. Then he says, and nobody can know the Father except the one to whom the Son chooses to show the Father. The Son shows you who the Father is. And then it says, and nobody can know the Son unless the Father shows you who the Son is. Wait a second. This is not right. The only way I can know the Son is if God the Father opens my eyes. Great. And the only way I can know the Father is if the Son opens my eyes. I I can't get in. Well, you can. Because the Father opens your eyes and shows you who the Son is. You get saved, the Son shows you who the Father is. Then you're part of it. We can't, we are lost. So he says, no one seeks after, you don't even seek after for God. Because you can't seek after God. It's not in us. We're not righteous. We seek evil. All have turned aside together. They've all become useless. There is none who, none who does good, not even one. So pick the greatest person that ever lived. Aside from Yeshua, there's not one who ever sought after God, who understood God. No one. And some of you are saying John the Baptist. Well, it's, I don't know about him. Anyway, uh, there's not even one. That's your nature. All right. So I don't have the best nature. How do I live? Ah, I got you. I live very good. The rabbi tells you how you live. He says in verse 13, your throat is an open grave. Compliment. I'm complimenting you. You open your mouth, from your throat comes a grave. With your tongues, I speak nice and kind words. With our tongues, they keep deceiving everybody. The poison of asps is under my lips. So, your throat's a grave. You speak poison. You're deaf. Everything is death. Everything about us is death. I'm trying to give you a picture. We're not so good. And it says, your feet, what do I do with my feet? Where do I go? My feet are swift to shed blood. Good. My nature is great. Destruction and misery is in your path. Everywhere you go is in your path. The path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Nothing. Nothing. So what is the real condition of man? Greg, I'll tell you. It's stage four liver cancer. That's the condition of man. I don't know what's kidney cancer, heart, lungs, pancreatic cancer. It's the last stage of HIV. No, it's not. It's worse than that. That's how bad off we are. We're lost. There's nothing you can do. Let's move on. That's pretty bad. Actually, why don't we just end with that? It was a nice, encouraging message. Goodbye. <laughs> two. Two. God has provided and paid our debt. God made a way. There's, when you're at that stage, there's nothing you can do. God paid the debt. A sacrifice is needed, folks. It always has been needed, the sacrifice. God told Moses, first five books, he gave the sacrificial system. And God made it very clear in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17. A sacrifice was needed. He makes it clear. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar, God's altar, to make an atonement, forgiveness, covering for all your sin. For it is the blood. By reason of the life that makes it, you need a death. Blood has to be shed. Sacrifice has to be shed. They had to take the sheep, the lamb, the goat. You'll see them next week. Anyway, they had to cut the throat and die. There had to be a sacrifice. 
The sacrifice, of course, was a picture of a different sacrifice, but there has to be a sacrifice. Every false group in the world tells you you have to do something for salvation. You have to work for it. When I tell people it's a sacrifice of someone else, they look at me and they go, too easy. It's too easy. If it's so easy, why don't every, why doesn't everyone do it? Because they don't. Because they can't. You can't even make the prayer without the Spirit of God working on your heart to really mean it. Every false group. Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I pick on everyone. I'm equal opportunity. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses. You gotta do something. You gotta work for it. It's not just accepting his death. The Mormons. You gotta work for it. You gotta do something. See, every false group makes work. Whenever you want to talk about someone who's who has got a belief, sound doctrine, there's a couple things you, th- you really deal with, at least two. One, you ask people, what do you believe about Yeshua? If they look at you and go, oh, he's really a wonderful person. Bah, 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 wrong. Oh, no, no, no. He's a prophet of God. Bah, 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 X, wrong, wrong, wrong. He's a very charismatic, loving person. <laughs> They're all true. If he is just a man... Close up our doors. Goodbye. We're out of here. If he is just a perfect man, maybe he could die for one person. Every false group is off at least in these two areas. One, every false group, they, the nature of who Yeshua is. Yeshua is God or we are fools or deceived. Second, how do you get saved? Soon as someone says, well, you have to do and start something with work, wrong. Always find out what they believe in the deity of Messiah. Is he God in the flesh? He was a man too. Remember, the father didn't come to earth and become a man. It was the son. The son took on another nature. The son is 100% God and he's 100% man. So sometimes when you're reading about the son, they express things about what he'd be like as a man. His nature. He grew old. He developed. He got hungry. Because the great God of the universe chose to become a man and suffer the limitations that we have. So sometimes when you're reading about Yeshua's limitations, you say, oh, he's not God. Well, no, it didn't say whether he was God or not. It's just telling us his limitations as a man. Because the Bible makes it very clear who he is, that he was God come in the flesh. So um, it had to be a second. Catholics, they're off on how you get saved. My Jewish people, we're off. Because we think by prayer, fasting, and good deeds, and charity, and working hard, and doing good for mankind, all good and noble things, that you can get saved. You can't. Yeshua, it had to be his death. It has nothing to do with our works. Isaiah 53. We quote it all the time. We need to always memorize it, and then I won't quote it for you. Isaiah 53 says this. I said the sacrifice was needed. Yeshua was the sacrifice. But our griefs, our sufferings, our sorrows, he, the Messiah, bore... I know some people try to say the he there is, is Israel, but Israel can't bear the sins of Israel. Uh, Israel did not bear the sins of uh, the rest of the people. Our sorrows he carried, speaking of the Messiah, the one who came. We ourselves esteemed him stricken of God, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he, the Messiah, would be pierced through. Israel was not pierced through. They suffered mostly for their own sins. And for their own rejection of God. He, the Messiah, would be pierced for our transgressions. The people, actually, here's an interesting thing in the passage. The true understanding of the passage, follow along. He, some people say it's Israel, the good, the Jewish, good Jewish people. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He, 
And our, the Jewish people, it can't be. It had to be two separate. He would be suffer for our, the Jewish people's sins. He, the Messiah, would be crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his suffering, scourging, stripes, punishment, we are saved, healed. All of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. Yeshua was the sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 1, 7 puts it this way. In him, Yeshua, we have redemption, purchase price. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of God's grace. Colossians. In Messiah, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First Timothy. He gave himself as a ransom for all mankind. Yeshua was the sacrifice. Romans 5. While we were still helpless, remember weak, Inadequate, lost. At the right time, the Messiah died for all the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, toward us, while we were still wicked, sinners, inadequate, enemies of God, turned away from God. When we were at our, everyone look up here now. When you were at your worst state, Yeshua loved you and died for you. You didn't have to become good. Yeshua saved you when you were at your worst state. Mankind was totally opposed to God. That's what Romans is saying. It, when we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Yeshua was the sacrifice. And one, to me, one of the most powerful verses in all the new covenant, being justified, that means God declared you righteous. Being justified as God's gift to you. It's a gift. By God's grace, giving you what you don't deserve. That's God's grace. Through the redemption, purchase price, which is in the Messiah, Yeshua. We're lost and helpless. We need a sacrifice. Yeshua is the sacrifice. Fill it in. Number three. I said, first, we're helpless. Second, you need a sacrifice, atonement. Third, we have accepted and received God's gift. This is where it gets a little tricky. But we've received that gift that God gave us. All I'm doing is setting the groundwork for what God has done. I said at the beginning, the concept, the teaching, the doctrine of eternal security rests, listen, on what God has done when he saves a person. We're so helpless. God gave the sacrifice. We've accepted the sacrifice. Well, what if I reject it? We'll get to that. It says, we've accepted and received the sacrifice. We are called to believe and trust what God has done. And at some point, that's what we do. We're lost. God paid for us. We believe, trust, and accept and receive the gift that he's given to us. John 3.16, most of us should be able to quote. For God to love the world. That, for God so love the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes, trusts, receives, accepts him. Should have eternal life. What is it? For God's love, as long as whoever believes in Him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Whoever believes and receives that gift, Romans six twenty three. Anyone quote it? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah. That's the gift. God gives you a gift. John one twelve. But as many before that, it says this. He came into his own, his own rejected him, but all those who believed in him and received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And finally, John six twenty eight and 29, Jewish people say to Yeshua, what must we do to earn salvation? What must we do to please God? What must we do 
to win the favor of God, to please God. Yeshua says, this is, this is the work of God. This is what we have to do, folks. Believe. Receive. There is something we do. Although God doesn't consider it a work, there's something we do. All those that believe and receive and trust believe in him. What must we do to do the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. You are lost. God gave you a sacrifice. You say, thank you. I receive that gift. We are called to believe. We are saved by the mercy and grace of God. Fill it in. Follow along. Romans 3. Great chapter. But now apart from the works of the law, following the law, doing all that's good, all the commandments, aside from that, the righteousness of God. By the way, just so you know, the theme of the book of Romans is this, the righteousness of God. And I would add, and how mankind gets it. Romans speaks about the righteousness of God. You can't be righteous on your own. And this is it. It says, now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been made clear, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. God's word, the law, the prophets, the old covenant spoke about this. Even the righteousness of God, which only comes through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. Uh, For those who believe, for there's no distinction. All people, male, female, white, black, Jew, Gentile. All groups, every ethnic group, all of them. How do you get the righteousness of God? By accepting Messiah. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. By faith you trust in him. We're saved by God's mercy. We should know it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. These are one of the basic verses that you should learn when you first become a believer. For by God's grace, what is grace? God's giving you what you don't deserve. By God's grace, you are saved through faith. That's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing you can do, you can never boast about it. God has given you that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. And finally, one of my favorites in Titus 3. God's mercy and grace. But when the kindness of God our Savior, interesting verse there, God our Savior, Yeshua our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved you. Not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, not giving you what you deserve, by washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. God has saved you by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Yeshua, the Messiah, our Savior. It's all about him. We can do nothing for it. Fill it in. All that is to set the tone. You can't save yourself. It must be a sacrifice. You come to some choice moment, time in your life, January 15th, 1972, whatever it might be. You don't have to know the date. You realize, I need to fall on the mercy of God. It's got to be like in that prayer, that uh, parable, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm lost. I need the salvation that God offers me. And you do that, and God gives you the gift of eternal life. Now we talk about what God has given to you. When that all takes place, you realize you're lost. You realize he needed a sacrifice. You realize you showed him the sacrifice. You realize you put your trust in him and received him. Now what does God do for that person? We say, we have become new creations. This is what takes place when you became a believer, whatever that date is. First Corinthians 12 Verses 12 and 13. When I first became a believer, I was a young believer just a couple months, and I was at Moody Bible Institute, and I met this new young girl named Fran Rosenfarb, and her and her girlfriend. And we were talking about 
this verse. And it only took me about eh, 10, 12 years to get this verse into Fran's head. Because I constantly repeat it. And she was listening. This is what takes place when you become a believer. Verse 12. For even as the body is one, that's the right bubble, folks, the body, the right bubble. Even as one has many members, all kinds of people, and all the members are of the body, though there are many, it's still only one body, so also is the Messiah. And then it says, verse 13, what's taking place? It says, for by one spirit, we have all been immersed, placed into. In, uh, we have all been placed into one body. Everyone, do you want a good picture of that? This verse, chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For we have all, all of us, have been placed, immersed, use the word baptized, it means immersed, plucked out of that and placed into the body of Messiah. That's what this verse is saying. You've been placed into the body. That's what the word immersion means. To identify placed into with this group. We've all been immersed into one body, whether Jew or Greek. Whether slave or free, we've all made, been made to drink of the ones. We're all, when the moment you get saved, every one of us, every one of us is placed into the bubble. Have you done good or bad? No. You put your trust in Messiah. You are placed in the body of Messiah. There's an organic connection. It's a spiritual connection. Nothing in all the world can change that. He unites himself with you. That's what God chooses to do. He does it based on whether or not you put your trust in him. Now, I know you can say to me, well, maybe this person really didn't do it. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they just wanted to be accepted by the group and sounded pretty cool. And people have done that. Said, so, yeah, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be just like, I accept the Lord. Good. I do. I don't know. God knows their heart. But if you truly put your trust in him, you're placed into the body. You're connected with him. Are there people that probably never accepted? Yeah, probably. I don't know who or what. And anyway, this says, so first, everyone in the body, that's what takes place. Once you realize you're weak, when you realize the sacrifice, Yeshua did it, you've accepted it, God places you into his body. There's a connection. The Bible makes that spiritual connection. In that body, God makes it very clear in the scriptures, he's the head. That means you're connected with him. He's the body. And we all work together. We're a unique spiritual body. Second thing that takes place is you're made a new creature. You are a new person at that point. It's drastically, the person has changed. Let me put it this way. When you're, before you're saved, you have one nature. You're evil, wicked, unspiritual, godless person. That's your nature. When you accept the Lord, how many natures do you have? Ah, everyone's scared. You have two. You have two. Well, the old one that's still there kicking around for a while until you just go under or until he takes you up. You still have that nature. He still hangs around. He bothers me all the time. I don't like him. That nature. I don't like when I see him, but he's there. But now I have a second nature that shows me that first nature is no good. That sometimes he has me do godly spiritual things. The non-believer has one nature. The believer has two natures. The good and the bad. And it says, therefore, if any man is in the Messiah, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. God creates a new person. It's different. It is different. On January 14th, I was one person. On January 15th, I became another person. 
You still saw some of the old one, but I was a new person with new nature, new thoughts, new ideas, a new creation. It says, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. The old things are fading away. They're still around. Behold, new things have come. I'm a new person. When I accept the Messiah, I am placed into his body. That's what happens. Second, a new person has been born. A new creation from God. There's a third thing that takes place. I become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Now, there's very clear things the Bible tells about. In the Old Covenant, we saw God's tabernacle. We see God's temple. That is God's house. That's where God dwelt. That's where they went to hear from God and fellowship with God. There was a temple. God dwelled in that temple. God allowed that temple in 70 CE to be destroyed. And God says there's many, a new temple, many temples. He says, your body, the believers, all believers today who accept the Lord, the Bible clearly tells us you're placed into the body of Messiah. Second, what did I say second? You're a new creature. Maybe I don't like the word creature. Creation. You're a new creation. Same thing. But third, your body is a temple, a temple of the Spirit of God. He lives in most of the people in this room. I wish all. I don't know of all. Uh, some of you, you might not be in, but if you're not, you might be a nice person. You might come, you might like the congregation, but some of you may have never accepted Messiah. I love you. I'll do for you. I'll explain things to you. But the Spirit of God does not live in you. There's a Spirit in you, humanity or mankind, but it's not the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God only comes to live. Follow along with me. Do you not know? Your body is a temple. Of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. What do you mean I'm not my own? Because God bought you. You belong to him. He paid the price. The death of Messiah. You put your trust in him. Now you are a new creature. You belong to God. That means God can do what he wants with you. And he deals with us. It means God can choose to take me home. That's okay. I want to serve him while I'm here. God has... The power to take me home. I am a temple of the Spirit of God. Fourth, fill it in. I've been adopted. Now it's a great term in the New Covenant. It's a great term in the Scripture. The word adoption, I mean, we adopt children, and they're our own. And hopefully we, you know, maybe they don't always feel great. You know, they say there's trouble sometimes with adopted children. They, because, you know, it wasn't their natural family and someone had to accept them and put, and they, they, they have weakness in this world. But in the ancient world, adoption meant you were in that family. You had all the rights of that family. That's, I love the, the, you know, my favorite movie. We we're talking about this morning again on the way in Ben Hur. When Ben Hur saved the Roman, uh, commander of the fleet, and he went back to Rome, and finally, after a certain amount of years, the commander of the fleet gave Ben-Hur that ring, Arius. I just saw that. And Ben-Hur had the ring, Arius. And he goes back to Jerusalem to face Masala, the wicked, evil Masala. And a great gift is given to Masala. And they said, who would give such a gift? And they say, Arius. Great Arius? No, no, his son. Same. Who is could Arius' son? I don't know who he is. Where is he? Who is he? I've never met him. And then you hear a voice out of this. You're wrong, Masala. And how comes Ben-Hur? What magic made you, young Arius, been adopted? We've been adopted as God's children. We are so special, folks. We are children 
of the king. That's what's great. We've been adopted. And scripture makes that adoption very clear. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Daddy, Father, Abba, he's my dad, with all the rights. Galatians 4, 5, in order that he might redeem those who are not, who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then heir, uh, then an heir through God. Another thing that's taken place, you're sealed forever. See, people make light of these terms. Being immersed into the body, becoming a new creation. They make that, is that good? You're a new person. Yeah, no. This means a, a, dra- a ra- drastic change. You're a temple of the Spirit of God. He lives in you, not all people, only believers. You've been adopted, placed into the family of God. He's your father. You are part of that family. You're connected. And now you've been sealed. Nothing can change that. See, the idea, when you're thinking like the Bible and what God says, these are irreversible things. Nothing can change it. God has sealed you forever by him. Look, we read in Ephesians chapter 113. We read, in him... You've also, after listening to the message of truth, whether it's from any one of you or me or somebody else, the gospel of your salvation, also you believed, you were then, when you believed and put your trust, what took place? Well, I was adopted, I was placed in the body, I'm the temple, all these things. I was sealed in him for the Holy Spirit of promise. He sealed you. That's protection. That's safety. Forever. You're sealed. It doesn't say it here, but in another verse it says, until you get to heaven. Then he opens it up and you're part of a new thing. But you're sealed. You're regenerated. This is what takes place. I'm doing this for a reason. I can give you a whole long list, but I'm just picking some of them. You're regenerated. I like this, regenerated. Regenerated, follow along with me what it means, really. It means a lost, unsaved, unregenerate person that's lost and dead has been given new life. That's what regeneration is. And Titus chapter 3 explains it. He saved you, God saved you, not on the basis of my good deeds and prayer and fasting and my kindness and my giving and all this good, good stuff. He saved you not on the basis of your good deeds because they're filthy. Isaiah says all your good deeds are as filthy, dirty rags based not on uh, deeds which you've done in righteousness. You might have meant well doing them. But he saved you based on his mercy. We all know by now, grace, God gives you what you don't deserve. That's God's grace. That's salvation. Mercy, God not giving you what you deserve. We have been saved by his mercy and grace, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's something that only takes place by God. He's the only one who can infuse and give you new life. What happens when a person gets saved? I love these bunch of lists. He becomes a part of the body. He's a new creature. He's a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's adopted. He's sealed. He's regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And finally, he's indwelt. He's indwelt. God's Spirit lives in you. God enters into us. Uh, verse John 14. Good. That is the Spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, lost, can't receive the Spirit, because it doesn't see him, it doesn't see him, doesn't know him, 
When you talk spiritual truths to a non-believer, you might as well be talking a different language. You really do. A lot of times I've talked to non-believers and I make it very clear on certain things. Sometimes I'm clear, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm very clear. It's like you might as well put a big question mark over their head and speak in Greek. They have no clue what you're saying. Because they can't understand the Spirit, what the Spirit tells you. And it says, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be where, folks? He indwells you. On January 15th, 1972, the Spirit of God chose to dwell within me and he will only stay with me till eternity. He will never leave me. This is what takes place to a, to a person who puts their trust in him. He showers us with such goodness and blessings. Now, these are all things that take place. We are kept what keeps us, not your works and good deeds and your desire. You're kept by the power of God. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who according to his great mercy has caused you to be born again, born from God's spirit, born from above, to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. So God saves you and does all those things, and then he protects you. What keeps you safe? What no, What makes you so sure that you're going to keep the power of God? You become his child, and all those things take place. It's amazing to think. I like one of my teachers put it this way. It's amazing to think that I accepted Messiah. I realized what I was, what he did, and I put my trust in him. And then the Bible says he placed me into his body. He sealed me. He indwelt me. He regenerated me. He adopted me. He made me a new creation. And one day I don't do good. God says, nah, I'm going to take all those things away from you. I'm going to just take you out of the body it's amazing to think what God has to do to get us unsaved again. But he did all that to get saved. And you are saved and kept by the power of God. Now whether you do good or do bad or turn away or say I don't believe anymore. Children say things they don't mean all the time. You might even mean it. It's too, late, too bad. I cannot say to you I'm not born. You say, well, Is he nuts? What is he saying up there? No, no, no. I didn't say spiritually. I can't look at you and say I was, my mother never gave birth to me. Nobody had. What is he talking about? You're up there speaking. No, no, I don't exist. I wasn't born. It's not possible. God born, made me born again. I'm sure you can't become unborn. No matter what you do. Well, I guess you can kill yourself. But uh, spiritually, you can't do anything. Well, what if I say, I don't believe? That's a, you, you, you don't believe. You might try to reject it. You can get angry. Maybe you lose a loved one. Maybe everything goes wrong in your life. I'm so mad at him, I'm not going to follow you anymore. Okay, you're still his child. He's still going to deal with you. God is in control. Now there's other people. I don't think, I think before he died, he changed his opinion. Chuck Smith and other people, and he got a lot of people believing. If you commit suicide, that's it. I don't see that in the Bible. Saying that there's one sin you can do to take away your salvation. Well, I know the argument. People say, well, if you commit sin... You didn't have time to confess your sin before you died. Which really makes no sense because when I die, there are so many sins that I didn't confess that I'm not even aware of. Because that's all you do is sin. In thought, word, and deed. Because old nature still lives with you, folks. He's still there, causing trouble, making many sins that you're not even aware of, and you never confess them. So if you kill yourself, it's sad. God doesn't want you to do it. I hear people emotional. You've murdered. 
There you have. You murdered yourself. Murder yourself or others, nothing changes. You're saved by the Spirit of God. Because you're not saved by anything you do or don't do. You're saved by what God has done and whether you've put your trust. And you say to me, well, maybe I really didn't trust him and accept him. Maybe and maybe you're not saved. You might be. I don't know that. Only the Spirit of God knows. Now, I know I put doubt in all your mind, and you're all going to re-accept the Messiah today. I understand. Which is good. Because every time someone re-accepts the Messiah, I say, that meant you're saved. Because non-believers don't re-accept the Messiah. Only believers that are worried whether they're saved or not accept the Messiah. Which is, anyway, we're not going to get into that logic. Okay. Uh, we're on. Power of God. He intercedes. He's always praying for you. Now, sometimes God answers my prayers. Well, he always answers. He might say no, might say maybe. Yeshua is praying for you. He always knows how to pray, and it's always answered. He intercedes, the Bible says, for me. Hebrews 7. Hence, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, for he always lives to make intercession for them. First John 2.1. My little children, I'm writing to you these things that you may not sin. And if you do sin, which you do, we have an advocate, a lawyer, with the Father, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Righteous One. He's always praying for us. See, he, by his power, you're saved. He's always praying for you. You've got salvation. But I like this one, too. I call it double jeopardy. Actually, I don't call it double jeopardy. Double security. Really, double jeopardy. Double security. You're doubly saved. I love this passage. And, again, people misunderstand the passage of John 10. If you understand the true meaning of what John and the Spirit of God is writing, you'll understand what he's saying. And he says this, My sheep, believers, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Believers hear it, follow and know him. And I give to them eternal life. If I look at you and I'm right, and I tell you you have a week to live, can you tell me how long you're going to live? And I'm right. No, 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 hold on. Physically, you're sick, and I'm a doctor, and I can discern you got a week to live. And I'm right. How long do you got to live? Thank you. Good. All right. I knew that was difficult. All right. I look at you and say, uh, you're not going this week. You're going in a month. And I'm right. How long do you got to live? Okay. Yeshua says, I give to you eternal life. How long's eternal life, folks? Forever. I give to you eternal life. And when will you perish? You can't perish. Get the thrust of what the Spirit's given to us. You shall never perish. And no one can snatch them, I love this, out of my hand. Yeshua, you are saved. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. You're in my hand. Nobody, nothing in the world can change it. What if I change it? Get the the text. You can't change it. That's that's us speaking. That's like us saying, can God make a a rock that he can't move? It's just stupid. I'm sorry. It's just not normal. You, you know, you are in Yeshua's hands and he's saying nothing can take you out of my hand. Nothing. Not you or anybody. And he said, so no one can take him out of hand. My father, he has given them to me. He's greater than all. Now, again, don't get this first wrong. Yeshua is saying as, as a person, I'm one thing and father, the God, the father, he's just saying he's greater than everything. And he's saying the father is greater than all. I love it. He says, uh, no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Wait a second. I got one hand here, and then I got the father's hand there, and who's inside? Me. Who's going to get me out of there? I know, I love when people say, yeah, but maybe I can jump out. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, you can jump out. Good going, you jump, try. You can't jump out. It's a silly argument. And if you did it and you've said that, then repent. It's wrong. You can't get out of Yeshua's hand. The Father is greater than all creation. He's got you. You're safe. Knowing that on top of it, he's telling you, my hand and the Father's hand are one with the same. I and the Father, he says. Where was I? I and the Father are one. Yeshua has the nerve to equate himself with God the Father because he is God the Son. Everything Yeshua ever spoke, when he speaks about his power and deed, he's showing he's God. Nothing could ever... You are doubly safe and secure. I'll get to that. We're joined forever. Last one. What then shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against you? God is for me, folks. Well, Larry, you might not be... I know I'm not so good. I know I do wrong. And so you know what God's going to do? He's going to discipline me. He'll deal with me. I get out of line, he'll deal with it. Doesn't mean I'm not his child. In fact, if he doesn't deal with me, it says I'm not even saved, I'm illegitimate. But God deals with his children. And he says, so, Romans, if God's for me, believers, he's for you. You're special. Who then is going to bring a charge against the elect? Who's going to bring, tell me, call it out. Who's going to bring a charge against me? Tell me, somebody. Who? Maybe my wife will. (laughs) Probably not. Maybe my kids will. Certainly. You might. The devil will. Who in the world is going to bring a charge? I don't care. Anyone you want. You can bring any charge you want. Because he's for me. And that's all that matters. I don't care who. That's the passage. doesn't matter who brings a charge against God's elect. You're safe. Nothing's going to ruin that. Who's going to bring a charge against me? Uh, who bring a charge against me? God's the one who's justified. That's it. It all ends with that. God's declared me righteous. Who is the one who condemned? Satan can't condemn. Only God condemns. But he's for me. That's re- that's assuring. That's comforting, isn't it? Yeah, it should be. So, Messiah, Yeshua, is he who died. is rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for me. Who or what or anything shall separate me from the love of Messiah? What? What can separate me? Tragedy? Well, I could grow weak. I could turn away. I could become ungodly or spiritual. What's going to take me away from the union? Being in the body. Being joined to him. Being a new creation. Being in his body. Being regenerated. Being adopted. What in the world can change that? What's going to separate me from him? And then the great rabbi does Jewish thinking, the way he explains it. He says, tribulation. Tribulation, let it come. Distress, persecution, famine. Nakedness, peril, sword. That's pretty good. A sword could end it all. But not my relationship with him. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, there's nothing. Get the power. Get the thrust. Get the idea. Get what's behind the words. Life or death? How about the angels? They might separate me. They're pretty powerful. How about the angels? How about principalities? That's demons and great powers and authorities. Principalities. How about things today in this world? How about things of the future that might come? Tragedies and bad things. How about powers? How about the height of heaven? How about that phone? (laughs) How about depth? Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which only comes through the Messiah, Yeshua. There's nothing that can separate you from the Messiah.
Nothing. So people say, actually they don't say that yet. They'll say it in a few minutes. So we have assurance. God makes it clear to us that we have assurance. The assurance we see, we have assurance, is found in First John 5.11. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Here it makes the most simple definition possible. He who has the Son has life. He lives in me and I have life. He indwells me. I'm his temple. I'm his child. I'm adopted. I'm in the body. I'm a new creature. I have the Son. He has me. Therefore, I have life. But only as long as eternity. Here is the Son of life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who have believed and received and put their trust in Messiah, even though you might have grown weak, in the name of, believe in the name of the Son, in order that you might know that you have eternal life. God has given us assurance. Are there difficult passages in the Scriptures? Of course there's difficult passages in the Scriptures. Do you go through difficult times? Of course we go through difficult times. But God has given to us eternal life, and nothing can ever change that or will ever change that. Now someone says to me, Larry, you're telling me... I can go out right now and do anything I want. Yeah, I am. I don't like that message. I don't like you telling me that message. There's nothing you can do that will ever change that. Now, I know some people say, if you're a believer, you won't do that. I disagree. Believers are capable of doing that. But I can go out. But the idea is that we become his child. We don't want to do that anymore. You shouldn't want to do that anymore. And if you do do it, we still have an advocate with the Father. Don't go back to the mud. The scripture says, don't be a pig. Especially if you're messianic. Don't be a pig. (laughs) I clean you up. Put a bow in your hair. Make you nice and clean. And what does a pig do? Right back into the mud. We do that as believers. But because he saved us, we shouldn't do it. We do sometimes and we shouldn't do it. I can go out and do anything I want. Yes, you do. But he who died for us, how should we go back and do it? That's what made us miserable. That's what took us away from him. I can do anything I want. Yes, you can, but you shouldn't. And that's not what will give you blessings. If you do that, someone says, well, maybe he'll take back your salvation. God doesn't take back your salvation. I'll tell you what he will do. He might discipline you. Actually, he will discipline you, which I don't know what the discipline is. He can do a lot of different things. I've said it many times. I said to my one of my teachers, what's God going to do if I get out of line? Is he going to kill me? And my teacher said, he might not. <laughs> That's the easy thing for him to take my life. Then I'm in his presence. That's good. But he might choose to discipline and leave me here and suffer and go through the difficulties. I say, God, I don't want to. He says, all right, let's see how you're going to do without me. It's not going to be pretty. See, God can discipline you today. If you don't live for him in turn, you lose out in eternity, not heaven. You lose out the blessings, the rewards that God has for you. God has so much more for us today. We have assurance, the comfort of salvation. And finally, we we should, because of it, it should cause us to love him and serve him. That's what God wants from us. You see, the gift of eternal life and salvation is not based on anything you do. It's what God has done for you.
You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado. If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like, and we'd sure appreciate it. And it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now, back to our program.